after you hung up for, for the call just two seconds ago, yes. I had the loudest fucking sneeze. And <laughs> timing was perfect. Literally, you got off the phone, and it was like I exploded with a sneeze. Wow. That's you, Graham McMillan, sneeze. professional. I, yeah, I sneezed that I feel I could have blinded me. It would have blinded a lesser man, Jeff. <laughs> Hello, whatnots, and welcome to Baxter Building, the final Bax, final, the final Baxter Building of 2017, but not. The final Baxter building of the Steve Englehart era. Well, it kind of is, for reasons we'll get to in a second. But I, I had, Jeff, I had secretly hoped that we would get through all of the Englehart run and we could start the new year with Walt Simonson. But the fates were against us. Anyway, I'm Graham McMillan. With me is my patient co-host. Jeff Lester. Hello, everyone. And we are going to be talking about Fantastic Four issues 322 through 327. A relatively short amount, as opposed to recently, where I've been like, Jeff, let's just do 14 issues. Let's see how that works out. <laughs> you know why, listeners? Because it's always worked out poorly. <laughs> it's all not worked out. So we're doing six issues this time, and we'll see how that goes instead. Yes, exactly. It says a lot about Graham's uh, tenacity that he continued to, to hold, cling to that plan, even as... <laughs> Three times. <laughs> You'd think after the first, I'd be like, "Yeah, we we barely survived that by the skin of our teeth." And it took last episode where we just didn't even we vaguely didn't. do it. We had two episodes left, and and we were both like, "I, I don't want to talk about that comic." In fact, I don't even really want to live anymore. So yeah, <laughs> let's just end. I should say, "I don't want to live anymore" is no reflection on these particular issues, which overall are kind of weird. Jeff, would you go along with me on that? Yeah. Oh, uh, kind of weird is, I think, actually a, a really good characterization of them. Um, it, in many ways, it feels like prime Englehart. Yes. And in many ways, it's so not Englehart that he actually replaces his own name with a pseudonym towards the end of the ep- the end of the issues. Well, what's fascinating is, and it wasn't until I went to the um, um, <laughs> the amazing cornucopia of monomania that is Steve Englehart's website to do a bit of reading up uh, that he mentioned, he, he actually changes his name twice in the course of just these six yeah, well, issues, yeah, to, right? To SFX Englehart and then to John Harkness. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one of the things I really have to give Englehart credit for is, is, that, is the pseudonyms. Well, is, is it the pseudonyms? But honestly, you know what it is? It's kind of the quality of the work. The, the, what's, to me, the thing that is interesting when you get to the Harkness issues is is that um, Englehart isn't phoning it in. It's kind of amazing, right? So he, he, for those who don't know, he changes his name to John Harkness because he is basically getting editorially dictated what he can and cannot write. And he doesn't protest. Yeah. But he stays as John Harkness for like eight issues. Mm-hmm. Well, he stays on the book for a, a long time after he's, he starts being Harkness. It. It it's kind of, but it's also very much like I didn't feel knowing knowing that he was doing shit under duress. I part of me was like, oh okay, so issue three twenty six, 
you know, basically I expect it to be kind of a, a sloppy bag of crap. And, and it's not. No, no. Engelhart is interesting. The John Harkness thing is, it's almost like political protest. He's not going to do any less with the material, which really is incredibly impressive. It's, yeah, he, he, he really does not have past this. Yeah. He, he, the quality stays up. Whether the quality is high quality right. is debatable. Yeah. And to that end, let's start with issue 322. The fabulous FF Enter the Inferno, as Stanley presents Between a Rock and a Hard Place. That's right. It's the first of three Inferno tie-in issues. And if you think that Steve Englehart, who, let's face it, loves tying in with other Marvel books, might actually explain what the fuck Inferno is. <laughs> you're shit out of luck. Oh, believe me. Yeah. Hope you're reading X-Men books at this time, fans, because otherwise, no chance. I'm fascinated to the extent to which uh, Englehart either doesn't care or maybe just doesn't understand what the fuck Inferno's about. By the time you get to the last of the three issues, I mean, sure, he says things where it's like, oh, okay, here's the premise. And for people who are big fans of Inferno, I'm sure your first question is, is a mailbox going to attack someone? Good news. Yes. Yes. But at the same time, there's just, A, it's almost laudable how much Englehart wants to use Inferno for his own ends. And B, whether that means misrepresenting Inferno to an almost comical degree or not. It's, it's really, it's really odd. Uh, I I would not be surprised if someone basically gave him like a plot, like a one line synopsis. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I can make that work. Yeah. Read the other comics. I, that's not true because he does feature the 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 head demon from the New Mutants issues in the, in the third issue. Well, see, that's it. He's He's got some stuff again, like the, the you know, the goddamn uh, mailbox. But but also there's there's well we'll get to it there there's just some so much amazing stuff that on the one hand you're like okay um Englehart understands this and then you read a few more pages and it's basically people in New York who are like I can't believe how goddamn hot it is it is so hot it's like an inferno and Englehart's <laughs> captions are like all kinds of things heat up in an inferno, you know, and I'm just like... It, it, his captions are so wonderfully Engelhartian in yeah. that, you know, someone will say, it's like an inferno, inferno in here. And then the next caption in another panel will be, an inferno indeed. <laughs> and you're like, that's like, you're not, on the one hand, you're not even trying. On the other hand, you clearly are trying. That is so Steve Engelhart. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Who knows? Maybe for the people who were actually into the Inferno event, this is kind of like seeing someone's like dad show up to the party and insist with the kids that he's down with the hip slang. Well, you it's know. so crazy because th this book has for some time looked very retro, especially when you consider what else is going on at the time. So, for yeah. example, the, two, the three main Inferno books were X-Men, X-Factor and New Mutants. Right. So that's Mark Silvestri, Walt Simonson and Brett Blevins yeah. at this era. And here you have Keith Pollard and, and Joe Sinnott. Yes. And it's like it's such a, a, a throwback. If the, the lettering in this in 323 wasn't by John Workman, this comic could have come out 
at any point, you know, post-1976. Yeah, no, even sort of pre-76. And part of that is Senate, but part of it is as uh, as Engelhart grouses about on his website. Um, look, look at the covers. Just the fact that the cover of issue 322 has, uh, you know, a Friends slash Senate cover that that shows graviton like waving his hands but particularly the call out box of see the human torch alone against the crushing power of graviton i mean it's it's i can there is a a a frisson that's going on in these issues which is Engelhart, who i don't think he necessarily even thinks of himself as especially progressive or even should but is nonetheless at least trying to do something new with the FF. Well, that's just it. He's doing different things. Yeah, exactly. He's doing them in quote-unquote classic Englehart and Mar- arguably Marvel style, but it is very much... he the, the actual contents of the book are really much weirder, and it's it's interesting watching how between the covers and Sinnott's inks and a few other choices... It feels far less. It 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 almost feels like a cover up, you know. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting uh, interesting set of issues. Do you wanna do you wanna summarize between a rock and a hard place or three to two? Basically, opens with Graviton, who is another West Coast Avengers villain, uh, returning to Earth after having been sent into space by the West Coast Avengers. He has, as his name might suggest, gravity powers. And he uses his gravity powers in ways that, shall we say, I'm not sure science would really back up. Yeah. But but that's okay, because it's a comic. Right. But there are moments in here where I'm like, wait, so he's breathing in space because he's using his gravity powers to pull chemicals from planets. Using his gravity powers. A what? Well, yeah, like, be- because he manages to pull just the correct combination of oxygen, nitrogen, and other gases. And I'm like, that's, like you said, there is a little bit of like, that's a very, I don't know if gravity can really be that specific. Well, it can't. Like, yeah. It can't. Um, later on in the issue, you also have uh, a watcher of all people uh, argue that Graviton could shut down Inferno. Well, how? Boof. Yeah. yeah. Like, sure, I get the Graviton thinks that he has delusions of grandeur, but why does another character think he could do that as well? Well, uh, it's, it's yeah. kind of wacky. I, I uh, yes, anyway, bad signs. He, he's he coming back. He's coming back to uh, Earth, and as this is happening, the what remains of the Fantastic Four, that is Ben, Shari, and Johnny, are on the street in front of the Baxter Building, where they are complaining that everything's just a little bit hot. And by the way, as Jeff said, there is a mailbox trying to eat someone. Mm-hmm. Also, there are uh, trash cans seemingly throwing kids out of them. And there is hilariously a bicycle that keeps following Ben Grimm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Three pages until he destroys it, which I love. As this is going on, uh, Sherry explains that she is evolving as a thing and she's looking more like the classic thing look. And Ben's like, I guess that seems to happen to those things. That's kind of cool. But by the way, what Reed said was true about me. It might be true about you, and you might just be able to turn back to human. If it's psychosomatic, that why wouldn't that work for you? She is, I think, shocked is a good way of putting it. Yes, she's somewhat appalled. 
as that is happening, Johnny goes to rescue Alicia and says, you know, it's kind of dangerous to leave you in an apartment. And Alicia's like, why don't we just move back into Four Freedoms Plaza? And Johnny's like, ah, let's make out even though everything's going fucking insane. <laughs> as they're making out, uh, Graviton arrives on Earth and immediately gets into a punching match with Thing and Cherry that goes even less well when Johnny eventually arrives and tries to set Graviton on fire only for Graviton to say, the density of my skin precludes my catching fire. <laughs> what? Again, he's, his skin is dense. People might be wondering why. Because of gravity powers. Yeah. Again, science not necessarily Steve Englehart's forte, unless you mean comic science, in which case he is all over that shit. He also then uses gravity powers to suck the air away from Johnny, who says, without air, I can't stay aflame, can't fly. Doesn't say can't breathe, though. Right. Well, for that matter, he's still able to talk. So there is that kind of classic, like, we didn't want to go with the thought balloons on that one, really? I mean, you know, just that whole idea of, oh, my God, I have no air. I'm not breathing now. I just can't keep talking. I'm going to pass out any second now. It's like, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny. Fucking stop. Yeah. Just fucking stop. <laughs> uh, the Fantastic Three then gets buried under a building by Graviton because this is the pre-9-11 era where there's absolutely no problem with villains picking up buildings and smashing them against the heroes. Yeah. The heroes aren't dead, though, because what sort of comic would that be? They are all in a bear hug where the Thing and Shari are protecting Johnny, only for him to flame on again because he has air again, melt the way out, and defeats Graviton by creating flame duplicates of himself, which Graviton is, is entirely convinced by. And then he is punched by Ben. The end. Except it's not the end, because there's a one-page prologue where Johnny discovers that because of Inferno, although he doesn't realize it's because of Inferno, but he can't flame off very easily anymore. Yeah. And he's like, I hope it's not tied to the craziness around here. I've got a feeling. That's a long way from over. It is. There's two more issues. <laughs> did you like this one, Jeff? Uh, yeah, generally, as as a rule of thumb, I did. Now that I'm sort of on the Engelhart, uh, on board with Engelhart, I've always liked Graviton. You sh uh, mentioned that he is a, a West Coast Avengers villain. Also, I think pertinent to our uh, uh, discussion, because it's just, just a few issues past the Beyonder issue, he's also a Jim Shooter villain. So, um, yeah, I think as I recall, oh, I, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Unless I've got that wrong, Graviton pops up in an issue of Jim Shooter's Avengers. Gets mighty powers, pulls off uh, the office park, I think, in which he works, and basically more or less um, co coerces a woman to having sex with him because he is now he's a, a Jim Shooter villain. He's, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> It's nothing to do because he's not God. It's because he's a gym shooter. Really. Exactly. Let, let's let's just be completely upfront. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very weird throwaway issue where the um, inferno of it all feels like an afterthought. Yeah. In fact, in many ways, one of the things the first time through when I read this that I was kind of into was the idea of Johnny losing his base losing his ability to flame off more from the fact of you see him in his fight with Graviton uh, really pushing himself to higher levels and also doing some stuff 
that uh, Engelhardt has added to his toolbox that sort of makes sense in some ways. Uh, the idea that, that Johnny can actually um, draw the heat from other sources or people, for example. At one point, he like uh, shaken bakes Graviton in, into fleeing by alternately freezing and heating him up. Uh, I, I was kind of into the idea of... Uh, since we've seen uh, particularly um, Ben having to deal with his struggles in powering up, it was really interesting, the idea that maybe Johnny would have some challenges, especially as like a married dude um, who can't flame off. But I would like to have seen that be less tied to the magic because then I'm like, eh. But the great thing that is interesting to me about Engelhart is Engelhart a does not shy away from uh, throwing magic into his stories, and B, for whatever reason, never really seems to flinch at having people figure out uh, the proper ways to think of, to to engage in magical thinking. Like no one ever seems completely stumped by magic and is like, Oh, I have to find Dr. Strange that weirdly enough, those, I don't think that crosses anyone's lips, despite the fact that, that they're basically all under attack by demons in New York and Johnny over the course of these next few issues will get worse and worse and worse at every point. They're basically kind of like, I'll figure it out. You know, and... that, that is the, the catchphrase of Engelhart's issues in general. Mm-hmm. I'll figure this out. Yeah, I, I like I can take care of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like every single character has that arc. Yeah, where they where they have maybe not necessarily despair, mm-hmm. but definitely like I I don't know what's going on, and then the resolution is always oh I can handle this. Yeah, exactly. It's a weirdly self affirming. Yeah, comic. Yeah, I think I think that is Engel. I think that says a lot about where Engelhart's uh, conception of heroism really is. Is is like people can get overwhelmed by despair, but they. Um, what's interesting to me isn't just that they eventually can move through to embrace hope, but that they almost actively are, choose self empowerment in that situation. You know, yes, it's yeah. it's all about self reliance, which is a, a big thing. And and actually, you know, I gotta say, does seem pretty heroic. So right there, there's. And also, it's so alien now. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, I actually think it's very alien to the origins of the Marvel Universe as well, which where the characters were amazingly self-pitying mm-hmm. and and would be heroic and would choose self-empowerment, but it would always be temporary because right. the Stan Lee conception of, of realistic characterization, quote-unquote, was angst. Well, it was angst, but also let's face it, again, the thing that is amazing about Marvel Comics is is that it's more or less misunderstood by everyone, including the creators, to be more or have more than is actually there. So again, that idea of like Lee managed to convince everyone that there was actual progress in the books. But it's usually not so much. The emotional growth or characterization is not in any way sophisticated. And so more often than not, what you see are a bunch of characters that feel like they're kind of standing still still emotionally 
as they sort of cycle through their spectrum of self-loathing and heroism and then self-loathing and then heroism and then bitterness and then, you know, uh, personal sacrifice and then, you know, it's self-pity and it goes on and on. But I mean, you sort of see that cycle through. One of the things that I think is interesting about Englehart is he really does pick up the idea of okay this happens what does it mean for the character but he's but emotionally what does that mean for that character emotionally and one of the things that well, is interesting is the way in which he makes those characters i suppose different even though they're all making more or less the same the choices. same choice yeah. yeah so but but what's also interesting for me is that the characters don't backslide Yes. No. Exactly. Like Mar- Marvel characters backslide. That's mm-hmm. what they do because the default is I am overwhelmed by my problems. Yeah. And Engelhart does not let his characters backslide. They can be overwhelmed by different problems. Yes. But when they they're victorious over some personal issue, mm-hmm. it's resolved. Yeah. I mean, I think the one where that's not true is Johnny's fidelity around Crystal. Uh, you. Well, I guess. I mean, she's gone. I mean, it, sense, well, I mean, but... that's just it. It's kind of it kind of gets resolved by her leaving the book, but well, he never actually really gets to a a moment where he makes a decision and sticks with it. I see. I think I sort of disagree with you in the sense that he actually does talk to her and say, like, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm attracted to you, but nothing is going to ever happen ever." And I think more or less after they have that talk, Englehart's like, okay, it's time for Crystal to leave the book. I think... But, yeah, in... that, that's my problem. My right. problem is because she leaves the book so quickly, it's never tested. Right. And it's, so yeah. it's not... Don't really know if it's resolved or like it's something he said. Right. Whereas I, I think it could go either way, but honestly, but I think in a way Englehart's kind of, because Johnny's temptations were always um, never acted upon anyway, I think Englehart's in a, in a, in a zone of like, well, I either continue to have this happen, but he thinks different thoughts in the thought balloon, or I should just move on. All right. Get out of here. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, you're right. It's not perfect, but I think in a way, for Engelhart, it's kind of like, uh, it's resolved. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move on for him. It's kind of a shame because it's not what I think is interesting. Is all of Crystal's stuff doesn't really get resolved. Her emotional arc doesn't get resolved, and that's one of the things that's kind of frustrating and and sort of semi shameful and about Engelhart and I suppose other male characters uh, writers of the time is is it's very traditional to be like oh i'm being super progressive with this woman you know up until the point where uh it gets in the way of the men's story and then it's utterly disposable you know so exactly yeah yeah well he, he never really does anything with crystal anyway do you know what i mean like crystal crystal is kind of always here as a prop right right you no, know which, exactly. which is which mm-hmm. is the shame what's really interesting to me is crystal is out of the book like crystal is gone yeah uh, and for the next for the first four issues of these six issues we're covering yeah um it's the fantastic three yeah and yet you don't miss crystal yeah 
because she was such a limited presence in the book. No, and it is a shame. It's it, it really is. Like somebody points it out, like you said, very much toward the end, and I'm like, oh shit, that's right. Crystal's been gone for four issues. I I prefer to think of it as honestly, each one of the issues leading up to um, the return of the characters in 326 uh, feel just jam-packed like the the whole appearance oh, of Kang and Mantis yeah Engelhart does a bunch Let, let's move on to 323 yeah. actually mm-hmm. uh, 323 the fabulous FF faced the black knight of Halloween inside the inferno <laughs> Stanley presents orphan of the storm exclamation point just want to point out for everyone reading along at home you'll notice that he mentions Halloween here yeah spoilers two issues from now is a Christmas story that A, has nothing to do with Christmas, yep. but it's called A Christmas Tale, and B, seems to happen maybe at most a day after this issue. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, yeah. Time's uh, difference in the Marvel Universe, Jeff. Why don't you uh, talk about this one? Uh, okay, well, I will. One of the big things that actually really strikes me about Orphan of the Storm uh, is is that uh, Joe Sinnott is gone, and Romeo Tangal is in on inks, and the book... Then, pres- yeah, it looks very different. One could say looks quote unquote more modern. I don't really think so because of Pollard's relatively traditional approach to, to storytelling, but it does not look as good at all to me. And it's a little frustrating. So, of course, it opens with the Fantastic Three uh, hoofing through New York City, basically like beat cops on patrol, trying to hand- take care of the weirdness and help people out from being attacked by uh, inanimate objects. And on page two, they, in fact, find that very sort of situation happening, except that it is the high-kicking Mantis, uh, Engelhart's um, character uh, in the Avengers, who people might know from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, even though that movie has hit Netflix. I have to admit that I have not seen it, and so I just pray to God does not have an ounce of of the creepy, like, uh, Engelhart's, like, hey, she's a whore, but she's a Madonna. No, literally. Hey, Jeff, and Jeff. literally. Yes. But, Jeff, here's the thing. That last part isn't there. And actually, to be fair, the first part isn't there. But somehow, the first part is there in spirit. <laughs> really? In in Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I really, like, Mantis is, as the kids say, very problematic to me well because they i feel like mantis is basically a character where they play up the she's the innocent young asian girl yeah yeah angle yep and it's like oh no yeah yeah the fact that james gunn (laughs) was like directions to go with mantis let's let's figure out yeah the problem the problem with engelhardt's madonna whore problem is not that it's a madonna whore situation it's like it's just that that sort of form of objectification is not with the times like now it's much more yeah that's kind of creepy and sad so uh well i mean i yeah you should totally check it out you can disagree with me perhaps i'm sure many of the whatnots will disagree with me yeah but uh for my money uh gun draws the wrong parts of mantis to bring to the cinema well you know it's really interesting because looking at mantis in these issues the way in which you have a character that Engelhart had created 
back in the Avengers and is a character that, as you pointed out, he brought over into the Justice League uh, when he goes to DC. Like, this, this sort of does a pastiche that is a thinly disguised version in the sense that because she talks about literally changing her appearance so that she can look, be different, but talks exactly that, the goddamn that, same. And that she has escaped from... I, I can't remember the exact language, but it's essentially I've escaped from a, uni- a universe that is no longer friendly to me. Yes, exactly. Then ends up back in the Silver Surfer book that Engelhardt is writing, and I wish I had been more, if, if work hadn't been such an abysmal bomb, I would have loved to have read those issues leading up to it, because they tie in later. And then he brings her into the FF, complete with her uh, storyline in progress, which is... Mantis is not only someone who needs to kung fu uh, uh, parking meters, uh, as we see, and is helped out by the FF, as we see on issues uh, pages two, three, and four, but she is someone who has had a child, uh, which is half human, half plant, because it is the, uh, she managed to, uh, the Celestial Madonna was the uh, bride that married the I want to I, God I want to say it's the Chaturi but I don't know if that's no I, right, I, I want to say it's the Kowati I think you're right it is the Kowati basically the race of genius sentient plants that is sort of a cornerstone of the cosmology that Engelhart put forward back in his crazy uh, hippie days uh, as sometimes happens you know with a lot of the marriages during the 60s and 70s. Uh, didn't quite work out and of course there's a kid involved uh they the the plants were at first perfectly happy to have mantis uh raise the child when it was just a baby and get some exposure to humanity but now basically that they don't have to worry about wiping and changing it they have taken the child for themselves to raise it in plantly ways and mantis who's moved on from being a um uh, embarrassing stereotype of a single woman in the Avengers is now, as she points out over and over again, the embarrassing stereotype of the mother who wants her son back. Um, it you, you've also forgotten FF. that Mantis talks about herself in the third person. Oh yeah, she's always this one, this, and this one, that, which is which is a fun one to say and not get confused. And that one, this, and this one, that. Anyway, basically, she's like, "Hey, dudes, come on." Do, do a trick of solid and get me into space so that I can rescue my kid. I'm here for the FF because that's what you do. You basically loan out rocket ships to everyone who wants some. I know what you did with Luke Cage and Doctor Doom. And Ben's basically like, yeah, fair point. Let's bring you back uh, to the Baxter building. And even though, you know, let's ignore the rest of this whole Inferno malarkey. They're being watched by uh, Aaron, uh, the weirdo um, junior grade watcher who has decided that he's going to get take a hand to get involved in things from his like lonely office in the Empire State Building where Dragon Man is basically hanging out with his mouth hanging open. Uh, But they're being watched by someone, a mysterious gelatinous fog figure and even better in his amazing Christmas tree light bulb of a spaceship is Kang the Conqueror who's busy talking as he does to absolutely no one explaining as he usually does how much everyone else sucks compared to him and how he 
is going to uh, in in sort of tandem with the storyline developing over in the Avengers, he is trying to get into the time bubble that uh, has descended um, on Earth until 2005, so that none of the Kangs. No, 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 no. Is that from his... 2005 to 2020? Oh, that's right. Sorry. Earth's future between the years 2005 and 2020, there lies a time bubble which cannot be entered until all of Earth enters it through normal evolution. Which I'm like, you mean until they, until the time passes? Like, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, here's the thing. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Because if you're from outside time, Earth has already entered into its normal evolution. No. Exactly. Because you're outside time. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, I... he comes from the 30th century. So... Where he's from, that's already happened. Yeah. Yep. No. I, let's face what, it. What he what he really means is the readers. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's really wonderful about uh, sort of in the same way that Graviton exists as a character who seems filled with infinite potential by someone because they don't really understand gravity. Kang is a time traveler that. Uh, more or less seems awesome by Steve Englehart in that he has actually managed to capture exactly one more of the facets to King's uh, to Kang's uh, potential than everyone else, which is to say he moved it from zero to one. But if you think about hey, Kang and his time back travel, off. what do you mean? What what are you talking about? Kang I, is wonderful. Uh, yeah, no, Kang is wonderful. But that's what I'm saying. Isn't Kang wonderful in part? Because he more or less, um, it 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 takes about five years for a different writer to come up with a different angle on Kang that's kind of like, oh, right. And there's going to be lots of Kangs because they're unstuck in time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's kind Council of a little Council of cross-time tra- Kangs. Exactly. Exactly. Which is... Hope you like that idea, Jeff. That's central. In fact, this Kang plot is kind of central to the first year of, of uh, Simonson. Yeah. I... Totally believe it. Totally get it. Remember when it was going on in Avengers? And like most of the people who uh, are writing Marvel comics, I've actually read comics about, uh, re- read actual, you know, books about time travel, like uh, David Gerald's excellent The Man Who Folded Himself, that allows a lot of this sort of extrapolating. Anyway, all of which is to say, Kang, for a dude who uh, does exist out of time, really buys into linear time. Like a lot, and I guess wouldn't really make sense to us if he didn't. So thank God for that. But he comes up with a plan, which is basically, oh sure, no one else can do it, but I can do it because I'm the real Kang, thanks to the miracle of the Inferno. Fucking stuff about. I'm going to be able to get in where no one else can into New York, and then because Mantis is hanging out with the FF, and I've kind of got a some something between a grudge and a crush. A, a grudge crush. I'm going to kidnap Mantis and use her uh, cosmic Madonna powers to more or less power my ability to break into the mountain in where 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 the fuck is it? El Dorado? It's El Santiago? Like Mount Diablo? Oh yeah, some other imaginary place. Uh, Mount Diablo. Sure. Sorry. Let me do the air quotes. Mount Diablo. <laughs> It's in California. I know it's a real place. I'm making fun of the fact that I don't 
I don't. I don't know anything about geography. Yes, it's a mountain in uh, California that has a celestial sleeping inside it with an amazing, awesome weapon that the Kangs are just into. So what does this Kang do? He basically shows up, um, just attacks the FF outright because, yeah, that makes sense as opposed to grabbing Mantis when she goes into space by herself. But eh, uh, comics got a comics. Um, he vibrates the FF into paralysis. Mantis being awesome and having perfect control over her body is able to move through the paralysis ray just so that she can more or less, um, get beaten up by, by Kang. Kang. Yeah. Just in like one panel, which is kind of like ridiculous. Um, there's a super bomb that Kang leaves as he hops off in time that, uh, the thing literally rolls into space and they're like, where are we going? How are we going to catch Mantis? Where are we going to go? Fortunately, uh, Mantis expositioned enough to them that they uh, remember the Avengers. Oh, uh, according to Ben, uh, Kang talked about a celestial. And I remember the Avengers found one of them under a mountain in California. We can look it up on the Fantastic Cars computer while we're flying out over there. Gives them a little bit of time for the subplot of Johnny being like, huh, maybe if I'm just like a carburetor and I just keep running, I can like, uh, by going full throttle, I will actually clean out all the dirt and schmutz, which doesn't seem like the smartest maneuver since the whole point is, is that he can't actually stop flaming off. And so therefore, but at, he thinks... but at the same time, for a guy who just thinks in car terms, that's actually a relatively good bit of characterization. Oh, I love that bit of con. It doesn't. I'm like, I'm not sure it's how science works, but yeah, I was kind of like, Jesus Christ, we've been reading this book for like 300 plus issues, Graham. It may be the first time Johnny Storm has ever made a car metaphor, and gosh, that makes me sad in some ways. Anyway, uh, Kang and Mantis are doing their various versions of foreplay, which is to say, she's trapped in some sort of uh, big glass tube. And, uh, you know, sort of tries to convince him to let her go because she doesn't have her cosmic powers. He's like, eh, too bad. I know you can still kick my ass, which doesn't explain how I was able to kick your ass a few pages ago. There's a delightful panel that uh, I had to screenshot and throw on Twitter where Kang lands in front of the entrance to the sleeping celestial and he's like, I will not attack the door directly without the fullest consideration. I hate to take any more time than necessary, but I dare not take less. And this is the wonderful panel. And after all, no one in either time or space knows where I am or what I'm about. Well said, Kang. Same. Yeah, exactly. Hard same. So Fantastic Four show up, surprise Kang and shoot up his spaceship and uh, thing tips it over, which is something that Kang would have thought was entirely impossible in the process of them fighting. Uh, Johnny shows up and just as he's going to Nova up and, and split apart the ship, he ends up losing control of his flame and exploding. <coughs> Kang barely manages to escape, but of course everyone's worried about what happens to Johnny, but just as Kang turns around to gloat, to Mantis about his uh, triumph over those fools, she's disappeared. What has happened to her? She's gone, but where? How? So, that's the issue, Greg. Here's the thing, Jeff. Yes, indeed. I like Kang quite a lot. I like Steve Englehart's wacky characterization. Yep. I love the bit where Ben Grimm says to Mantis, any red-blooded American boy would have a hard time seeing you as a mom, and Sherry's behind going, Ben. Yeah, 
Which was I did love that part. Yeah, that actually it's wonderful. Yeah. However, this issue boards the living shit out of me. Yeah. Really, really, it feels like everyone involved is going through the motions. Well, you and know, it's such a shame because yeah. Engar really did do interesting stuff with Mantis and Kang in the Avengers in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And he's, it, like you said, like he's he might not be progressive, but he's definitely not a, car- a writer who is living on his past glories. Yeah, right. And yet that's exactly what this issue feels like. Well, because I think if we're being generous, I mean, if you look at the average count, um, I, I feel like most of the panels on these pages go anywhere from like seven panels to a page on up. And I just get the sense. Oh, there's pages. There's like, uh, I'm looking at pages, panels that have like four, Eh, five, eh, six. There's a couple of sixes. I would maintain that there's way more panels that are like six panels and up, which to me is a sign that the, that the book is um, overplotted. I think I think if this had been two issues, I think oh, I would have I would have fallen asleep. Well, and you're probably right too. Uh, but part of me is something is off, and it's bad. I didn't like it the first time I read it. When I reread it, I was like, um, okay, I'm into it. But the fact is, I admit it. I've, n- despite thinking that the Engelhart issues of Avengers with Mantis are some of my absolute very favorite Marvel comics ever made or published. I've never been too crazy about Mantis, as you can imagine from my descriptions. I I just don't necessarily think that um, she's back when I was like 10 or 11. I thought she was problematic. Seeing her now kind of super problematic and also Kang stuff is I feel that Kang works best when he's got some space and time to play with oh you see what I did there so the fact that they actually have him sweep in beat everyone's ass fly to the second coast but they fly to the coast so then they can beat his ass again but then they don't because stuff like it is it is the very uh, essence of uh, an event-paced comic where, like I said, it feels like nothing really happens, you know? What I do love is this is the second of the three Inferno issues, and the FF just leave New York. Yeah. And Johnny says something along the lines of, like, we can't do it in the year anyway. And they just fuck off. Yeah, they just I fuck off. That. Yeah, they really could not give less than a shit about the Inferno. Uh, and that's, in a way, that would be fine, but it's this, it's a weird nagging, like, Engelhart because it comes back in issue 324. Once again, we get even more Inferno stuff. And the whole idea that, like, Johnny's been changed by the magical nature of the Inferno such that he cannot flame off. And more or less, the more that he ramps up his power, the harder it is for him to ramp down. Again, that kind of one-way escalation, I like. But the idea that it's tied to the Inferno at all is like... You know, just kind of like how or why or, you know, like there's just there's not even 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 by there's not even magical thinking involved. It's literally just kind of 
the like the world's laziest plot short uh, shortcuts, which normally Engelhart can do in a way that feels much better than what we see here. Well, normally Engelhart has more fun with it, mm-hmm. because ultimately, and I think this is where the fact that we read these six issues in a oneer really hurts. Johnny flaming on and not being able to flame off goes nowhere, mm-hmm. and so. I think if we we're reading these month by month, there would be an element of like, I, I want to see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we know it goes nowhere. Right. So revisiting these issues, you're like, well, why is he spending so much time doing nothing? Well, I think, and it could be possible, uh, you know, uh, well, interestingly enough, 324, which has the return of, of Mantis, uh, is Steve Englehart issue three twenty four, which is the second part of the same storyline? He's changed is his SFX Englehart. Yeah, which to me suggests that this is the point where he's a little unhappy about where things are going, and it's not until later that he just gets flat out unhappy. But there's enough to the idea that wherever he's going he's getting the sense that he's not going to fully get there or get what he wants. And who knows? It could. So part of me wonders if the torch storyline was meant to be something even longer and go into even stranger places. And once, once it got nixed, Engelhart's like, okay, well I need it for the next two issues to be able to get to the plotting. Cause I literally can't have, well, I guess this issue I need to have Johnny basically be at the point where he can flame on and fly around in space so that I can have him, you know, he and Kang defeat my surprise villain <laughs> who nobody is capable of treating seriously, including, I think, to an extent, Englehart. Um But Graham, I don't know. Do you, should I just try what? and... Let, let, let's let's go into 324. Right. I die like the stars or fan Johnny Storm. <laughs> and let's uh, let's uh, also point out that uh, Englehart says his little tagline, the fabulous FF go up in flames. It's like, hmm, that sounds like a satisfied uh, employee. Well, don't forget in 326, the title of 326. Yeah, I know, right? There's so much passive aggressiveness to really dig into in these issues. Anyway, Graham, please continue. Yeah, anyway, so it starts with Johnny. He can't flame off. Uh, There is one really nice touch on the splash page from Keith Pollard, which is you see Johnny surrounded by a ball of flame. You see Ben's knee, which protrudes into the flame on fire, Mm -hmm. which is really, really nice. I really like that uh, angle. Uh, they managed to put out the, or try and put out the flame, I should say, because Sherry has the great idea of what if she just sucks in lots of air and then tries to blow him out like a candle. It doesn't work. It just makes him burn brighter. Eh. Kang is so upset at how Mantis disappears. He goes into the past to find out while throwing a bomb out of his spaceship. But that's okay because Johnny can now fly into space and throw the bomb into the air. Clearly, either Johnny is now flying very quickly, or that bomb was not going to go off for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, Johnny comes back down to Earth, and the FF make what can only be described as the stupidest leap of logic ever. <laughs> when they decide they are in California, please, everyone remember. Johnny says, forget me for the moment. We were trying to rescue Mantis, and she may be in even worse danger if Kang's lost her too. And Ben says, everything started with the Inferno in New York. It's, Sherry says, 
Kang's got 30th century super science. He'd know if she were around here or anywhere. That's what I think, Shari, says Johnny. It all comes together in Manhattan. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, he's right. But he's right because the plot's demanded. Oh, it. absolutely. Absolutely. I just love the idea that Johnny is like, makes these leap logics. And this is the one time he's right, but every other time he just, it's embarrassing. Right. They're like, where, where is the murderer? And Reed's like, oh, he murdered with a knife. And Johnny's like, let's go to the cutlery store. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, actually, that is one of those super early Stan Lee scripted issues. Remember where Mr. Fantastic like quits and the rest of the FF are just basically morons as far as Stan paints them. So like Reed comes back. He's like, y'all are idiots. You couldn't do exactly. anything without me. And, and what it, are you all doing? Yeah. And they're like, uh, sorry, Reed. Right. Sorry, dad. So I do love the idea that the three of them just really mangle logic so badly. But of course they, they just, they managed to be right. So meanwhile, King Kang, who's back in time, goes back in time but because there's like so much debris and weirdo crap going on, thanks to the Inferno, including a, that he can't see what happened to Mantis, but he can see a bunch of people who have reverted to their primitive ways and are basically getting ready to sacrifice a motherfucking baby on a rooftop of a skyscraper. This never gets resolved. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't solve it. You also forgot that Kang, while in the mists of space, actually says... For once, I, Kang, am pressed for time. <laughs> You're a fucking time traveler, Kang. Take your time. Go back You're again. Like, time. what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nonetheless, he heads back into, as he calls it, the city of death, which now has a volcano in it. I guess that's an infernal plotline. Like, I genuinely don't remember there being a volcano in, in the middle of Manhattan. But they get there. The FF gets there too. They just happen to run into Kang, just as Kang is running into yeah. Mantis, about to be sacrificed by a guy in a purple robe, a giant hourglass, and a dagger hanging above Mantis. Oh, is it not just, this is one of the things that's also awesome, is this in true Rube Goldberg fashion, it's not just that the, the guy in the purple robe is holding the uh, dagger over Mantis's heart in his hands. And goes to the, the hourglass. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful and Rube Goldbergian. The, well, actually, it's not true. It looks like, honestly, the hourglass just has like an arm on it. Yep. Yeah, that rope. Yeah, it doesn't actually seem that the hourglass is doing anything other than just existing. It it's keeping time and being a helpful uh, holder for the pulley, so that the dude can actually uh, lift up the sword with one hand via the pulley, and so thus allowing it. It's one of those things that is. It really is kind of glorious in its like. I know the imagery that I want. This is classic Pulp 101, even though it's the year is 1989 and none of it would make a lick of sense. Let's go for it. Which more or less explains the the uh, bad guy, Necrodamus, who is as... Uh, he's raving mad. He's raving says. mad, you know, and more or less helped... Uh, more or less forming the uh, defenders in his first... Um, a pitiable attempt to master the black arts. And then in his second pitiable attempt, 
uh, had uh, Scarlet Witch realized that she could tell dudes like him to fuck off in the classic uh, issue Avengers 128, which, of course, was Engelhardian. So Necrodamus floated around as a mystical, porous spirit, wandered limbo for, for many years, and then was able to manifest in reality thanks to the effects of the Inferno! And, of course, naturally, since the Inferno was the only thing that was... A, helping him develop any sort of uh, physical form, he of course physical follows form. everywhere. Physical form! He of course flies over to Mount Diablo and kidnaps Mantis and then flies back to New York and I'm just like oh, Steve Englehart. It, it really is like Englehart who is the, the master of the improvisational riff is having like a hell of a time making this story move. So, of course... This story is also the most Inferno of all the Inferno tie-ins and does not have an Inferno logo on the cover. I just want to draw your attention to that. Oh my god, yeah, exactly. So, Necrodamus points to the planets. I'm not quite sure how that really happens, but let's face it, it's tough. But they're all moving into perfect alignment. The the, note, the planets in the funhouse sky, which... Come on, that's a great line. That's the best Pink Floyd album. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is my favorite song by them. Uh, sadly, it's like a 45-minute bass instrumental. Uh, as can only happen in moments of the greatest magic. They are nearly in a line. Madonna is the celestial Madonna. Her life force is unique. When the stars reach complete alignment, I'll drop this silver dagger through her living heart, and power beyond all else will be mine. Um... And then, of please, course... Please just read Sharon's line afterwards. Oh, yeah. Wait till you see my power, necro-dork. I mean, just the fact that she that everyone calls this dude, like, he does not get any respect from anyone, which on the one hand is kind of... But yeah, the fact she keeps calling him necro-dork throughout, he is able to laugh and gloat because he's got a magical, mystical thing that protects him from all of his attacks. Even in one case, which is lovely, Kang attacking... <laughs> Attacking the <laughs> the uh the, his magical magical bubble with a futuristic armament that has the amazing onomatopoeia of TARDIS as it shoots out and and hits. The I like the TARDIS. <laughs> TARDIS. <laughs> I really was. I was like, okay, well, let's go with that. I mean, God love them. So. Uh, Mantis is changed. Sherry comes up with a great plan that she explains to Kang, and in sort of a classic Silver Age DC thing, everyone's like, "What? You're siding with the enemy? What? Yes, I can't tell you why, but just go with Kang and does everything that he says, and it's all going to work out." Um, then you get some filler where like that demon thing shows up and is like, "Dude, it looks like you're trying to take power here. That's not really cool. This was technically." our invasion not yours and we're just like the members of the limbo demonic co-op are a little put out and in necrodamus is great he's got again another great like uh englehardian line which is something like my life has been devoted to to devotion so necrodork is basically like hey no worries you guys want you know i'm once I get power, I'll totally help I, you I'll out. I'll worship you. Exactly. I, I, like, who do you want me to worship? Yeah. I'm just into worship. Exactly. <laughs> just point me to someone to worship. I'm I'm right there. Uh, I. You should also point out that when uh, Lord Nestir appears ah, yes. and complains, Necrodamus's first line is, understood, my sweet lord. Necrodamus yes. is George Harrison. Yes. 
Yeah. Calling it. I, I think I think it is accurate. I, that Definitely when you see that My Sweet Lord one, you're like, okay, I wish I knew enough of uh, Harrison's other songs to see if they were actually seated all throughout here. Although now that I the think bit, about the bit it. where he points out we're living in the material world, wah, wah. I mean, that just seems a bit much. It did. It's it's a little on, on the nose. But then unsurprising <laughs> considering the Traveling Wilbury lyrics get like specific shout outs just a few issues from now. So, uh <laughs> Out in Who are you, the tax man? He says. <laughs> this inferno is causing this guitar to weep gently. <laughs> anyway, we're in big trouble if this is where we're, if we're getting this goofy and we've still got this many issues. Kang and the human torture in space. Earlier, the hum- uh, Kang had said kind of weirdly out of nowhere, like, oh, I've seen your future, Johnny. You don't worry. Your powers, you you get this is just a phase. You'll be fine. Now, out in space, uh, Kang's like, like, hey, psych. Yeah. He more or less is like, hey, I tell you what, like, take this um, special uh, alignment generator that that will actually help keep mercury from moving into position just you got to fly this into the heart of the planet dude and then you and i are getting back don't worry you can trust me and johnny of course says like you know despite your low regard for my intelligence i'm not forgetting that you're going to get this flame back under control after we save mantis i'm like you should be working with a stronger set of insurances than that johnny you know you're kind despite of despite your low regard for my intelligence i'm a fucking moron <laughs> exactly That's what he said Despite your regard for my intelligence, you're completely right. You're 100% right to stop that lower I am actually going to leave the ship that brought me 120 million miles away from my home planet and do what you say. But when I show back up, we're going to have an angry conversation where I'm still outside the ship. Uh, And how badly is that going to turn out for me? Not really badly at all. Or will it? No wait. Kang basically is like, psych flies off even though Nacrodamus's plans are foiled Kang is like left Johnny flaming in the heart of space let's very quickly talk about how what Sherry's plan was um, what how Nacrodamus's plans were foiled what Johnny is up there to do is to push a planet out of alignment. Yeah. So the planets never get in alignment. Yeah. So even though Nacrodamus has let go of the rope holding the dagger up the dagger hilariously just doesn't move. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's so many weird things. I actually do love that. The dagger doesn't drop, and then Necrodamus actually grabs the dagger and starts trying to push push it it down, which is a lovely touch, I got to admit. The Necrodamus's whole, like, even his his parting shout, Gods of evil, why have you forsaken me again? Is, uh, it's great. Let's face it. It's great in the sense that it's kind of pretty terrible, but it's um, not nearly as terrible as uh, Mantis. <laughs> <laughs> this one has been relaxed against her will. Does she say that? Oh, my God. That is yeah. so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her whole. Uh, their, she, their, she, yeah. Their whole like we've rescued her and she's like, no, shut up. I am cranky. Don't you understand? This one does not have her child. And this one only the child is everything because this one is that one. You know, it's like, ugh. really, Mantis, you're just terrible. So, yes. So uh, fortunately, 
for Johnny, who's stranded out in space, the very last page, which strikes me as not a particularly great cliffhanger. It's sort of the opposite of a cliffhanger. Imagine if you had exactly, a cliffhanger. Exactly, because it goes Johnny going, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And then the next page is... Is the Silver Surfer, who says, I, I think it's an oath, nebulae unfolding! A shockwave echoing across all of hyperspace. By the feel of it, I'd almost believe someone has moved a world within the solar system encompassing Earth. I must investigate, but who knows what I shall find? Well, everyone who read the first, all the pages except this one. So it's kind of a it's kind of a double negation of a cliffhanger. <laughs> If you think about it. But let's just go straight into FF325, A Christmas Tale. Again, it's called A Christmas Tale. I just want to tell you all up front, all of you thinking, that's such great timing. It's the holiday season and we're doing A Christmas Tale. Yeah. There's no fucking Christmas in this tale. Or Steve Englehart, sorry, SFX Englehart, does not understand Christmas in any version of what Christmas means to people. At all. I don't care if you're into Santa, if you're into Jesus, if you're into Jesus Santa, doesn't matter. None of those are represented in the story whatsoever. The spirit of Christmas, fuck that. Christmas Carol, not even in the fucking slightest. It's called a Christmas tale because it comes out in December. That's it. Also, it's a Christmas tale taking place, I really think it's the same day as the Halloween story two issues earlier. Okay. But Graham, for those of us for whom... Christmas means being caught trapped in a kung fu fight with our master while an enormous terrarium floats over our city. Jeff, that's literally you and Kylo Ren. That's fucking <laughs> Okay? I'm not I'm not even going along with that. Okay. All right. Uh No. <laughs> Bad Jeff. No. <laughs> Please summarize this issue, Graham, for all of us. I'm going to do this really quickly because this is a, a hilariously bad issue. It's yeah. so funny. I started off being like, these issues aren't that bad. And it turns out I was wrong. Yeah. These issues are bad, apart from I really do like 326, 327 for my sins. Anyway, by page two, the Silver Surfer has found Johnny, who is still flamed on, unconscious, and in space. Don't know how any of that kind of works, but there you go. Nebulae unfolding in the heart of space, the human torch, he says. Because, of course, he does. Just in case the audience were like, who's the gold guy? Yeah. It's, it's the Human Torch. He's he's still Nova burning. Yeah. Uh, as Silver Surfer's like, Johnny, what, what the fuck are you doing? We're in space. How, what's going on? Johnny's like, funny story. Never trust Kang. Dude is a super dick. Abandon me. And we were just helping Mantis. And Silver Surfer goes, Mantis? And flies off at top speed, dragging Johnny behind him to Earth. The reason he does this is, as far as he knows, Mantis is dead. Mm -hmm. Mantis died in the Silver Surfer book before she reappeared in, in FF. Actually, I think she showed up in West Coast Avengers between uh, oh, that's Silver right. Surfer. Yeah, I think Englehart mentions that he was going to have her go there, and then when that didn't work out, he dragged her into FF. Um, anyway, he's like, we must get to Earth, and then cuts back to Earth, where not only has the Inferno ended, and it's now snowing, but it's somehow December. And even though two months have passed, the FFs, or the F2 at this point, because Johnny's also gone, yeah. uh, have still not made it into space to look for Johnny or deliver Mantis to her alien planets. They're just taking it slow. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to get in the ship eventually. As Sharon and, and Ben hug and go, oh, we're upset, but we're 
doing this thing. We're doing the thing. It's going to be great. Mantis looks on and goes, oh, these humans. Oh, wow. Humans, right? <laughs> This one was human. Ama, is this one human now? I this one can't even tell. Well, this this one is really hard to talk when you're this one. Oh, uh, balls! And then a Silver Surfer appears with Johnny holding on for dear life, somehow not burning Silver Surfer again. Who even knows? But Silver Surfer is like, I it's Mantis, and Mantis is like Norin because I love that she calls him by his, his real name. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't call me Norin. It's really embarrassing. These guys call me the silver. Just ixnay on the orange. <laughs> <laughs> and then they kind of make out, and she's like, oh, "I'm gonna go back in space." And Silver Surfer's like, "I'll, I live in space. Let's totally go into space, you guys. I'm gonna go in space. You guys can stay here because I've got some making out to do with Mantis." And they're like, "That's that's super great. We're done with that." And Johnny says, "What? No, fuck you. I'm still super flamed on." You've got the power cosmic. Do something. And Silver Surfer says, I can certainly try. Oh, I can't do anything. Magic. What can you do? And then giant fucking plants show up in an Illuminati triangle. And they're accompanied by Kang. Yep. Because of course they are. Yeah. Turns out they're also accompanied by Mantis's son. Anyone hoping to see Mantis' son. It's not going to happen for like another 10 years. Sorry, everyone. But the the living plants are like, we came to you. You didn't come to us. We came to you. You're shit. You were supposed to come to us. We came to you. And Kang's like, I brought them. Me, Kang. Eh, look, Gwent, Gwent got the plant guys. But I came back and we're going to steal your kids. And they're like, but we have the kid. And she's like, yeah, why did you come here anyway? And they're like, don't, don't ask questions. <laughs> it makes no Oh, look, we're plants. We don't think really clearly. Kang suggested it, and we forgot that Kang's plans are always terrible. <laughs> but luckily, we have plant ninjas to fight you. Yeah, that's right. The priests of Bama, the plant ninjas, show up yeah. and fight the Fantastic Four, Mantis, and Silver Surfer. You would think that a guy who can throw fireballs, another guy who has the power of cosmic, and the Celestial Madonna, who is a kung fu master would be able to make short work of them as they kind of don't which is really kind of amazing yeah yeah the plant ninjas are like nope we can totally take you on and defeat the fantastic four which is great but then she then uses mantis then uses the cosmic powers that she said two years ago she did not have to telepathically attack the main plant people forcing them to vanish from this plane of existence which then causes the plant people to die because, of course, they do with their plant people. What you think they can just exist on this plane of existence without giant plants? Yeah. What are you, a moron? And then Kang runs away, not entirely clearly why. Yeah. Just, just, just like the story's over. I think he's like, yeah. oh no, we've got pages left. Bye. And as he runs away, Mantis is very upset, and she's like, I've got to chase after the fucking plants. They've, they've. they've They've gone away with my son. This one, sorry, this one has chased after the plants. <laughs> this this one forgot that this one spoke in third person, and this one got re- like this one is very sorry. Yeah. This one forgot this own gimmick. And Silver Surfer's like, I'll go me. I, I fly in. I live in space. You, you, you have you ever been like coordinating on a silver board flying through space? That's me. I do that. And she goes, this one has other plans. This one's just going to die now so that her, this one's spirits can chase after them. Yep. And that's the end of the story. Happy Christmas, everyone. Yeah, it really is the spirit of Christmas. Um, yeah. I, I also have to say that this uh, story is 
um, actually caused me tremendous amounts of of sadness and grief. Uh, Graham. Well, mine just dies. So that that's that, I mean, it's a sad story, Jeff. No, that's not it. It has to do with the fact that that Rich Buckler is the guest penciler for this issue, and the only parts of the issue, literally the only parts of the entire fucking issue that look good are when Buckler is literally ripping the shit off of John Basima's Yes! Silver, Silver Surfer. Surfer yes! Literally <laughs> tracing and swiping reaction panels. They look beautiful. The fact that he he draws the Silver Surfer, he redraws the Silver Surfer kissing uh, Shala Ball and basically puts those annoying goddamn like hair antennae on there yeah, yeah. to get that kiss. I, you look at that and you're like, oh man, that's a, wait a minute. It's just, yeah, that's such a good kiss. Looks like a different artist did it. Wait, wait. Yeah. The other scenes of him fretting, looking down, like they're all like, mm, let's face it. If there's one thing that you can walk away from, from this issue of the fantastic four, it's that John Basima really drew a fucking awesome silver surfer. <laughs> No, there's there's something else that we can take from this issue. Is there? Yes. Mantis explains that she must now depart this physical form and align her pure consciousness with that of the Koati, sorry, Kotati, to save her son. Mm-hmm. She then dies immediately without having time to talk to anyone. Yeah. And Johnny Storm says, that's the most selfless thing I ever saw, Surfer. Johnny, you don't understand what selfless is. She's literally ignoring everyone else's feelings to do the thing she wants to do. <laughs> Literally the opposite of selflessness. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's that's uh, that's probably true. Like, uh, still probably. She's like, I know what I want to do, and Silver Surfer's like, don't die, and she's like, catch you later, peace yeah. out, peace out. <laughs> that, that's it. Well, and Johnny's like, that's really selfless because this is what I think has happened. Uh huh. Johnny, first of all, as we've established, is stupid. <laughs> yes. And secondly, I think he just thinks that if people die in front of you, that's what you're supposed to say. That that's probably true. It's probably true. Wow, that person who died like trying to eat all your money, that's the most selfless thing I ever saw. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy. Uh Mantis's whole like, yeah, it's not it's not you, it's me. I'm dying now. Goodbye is it's supposed to be touching. It really It's really not. It's not in not even a little. It is not even a little. I got to tell you, this issue was it's it's and it's funny because again like like we said like you know you're kind of like i feel like i enjoyed these when i was reading them like you know panel by panel second by second ankle has got enough stuff there's always something happening but uh to paraphrase george harrison which i don't think it is there's not really anything going on you know <laughs> there's always to paraphrase george harrison there's always something there to remind me <laughs> <laughs> downtown. <laughs> yep, exactly. As George Harrison wrote in his classic song, New yes. York, New York. <laughs> it's up to you. New York, New York. Anyway, so yeah, it, it was... Uh... Also, also, the last panel of this. So Silver Surfer decides that he's he's never going to talk to anyone ever again and flies off. Yeah. Sorry, not the, the last panel. Although the last panel is terrible. The third last panel. Yeah. Has Ben go, forget it, kids. I know just how he feels. Do you? How do you know just how it feels? 
Cool. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I just sort of like, like skimmed right over that, but you know, Ben's sort of like, yeah, you're right. Maybe he did have someone. Is there someone else who just kind of like died? And it's, I, I mean, maybe that's a the, thing. Theoretically, Tariana on Battle Worlds in his solo series did. Mm -hmm. So I might give Engelhart like props for deep cuts. Because let's face it, who else remembers Tariana on Battle Worlds? That's right. I, was, I feel like I'm doing the, you know, the Darmark episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation? <laughs> no, I don't. You know the one I mean? No. The one they all talking metaphor? Oh, yeah, that one. That's the one that, of course, <laughs> the one episode of Star Trek Next Gen that everyone should have seen that I have not seen. So, but yes, well, exactly. Because like, they say something like Darmark at the river holding stones or something. I'm just, Tariana on Battle World feels like I'm doing that as well. It really does. It really does. Yeah. Tariana on uh... Battle World crying. <laughs> And you're like, I understand. That means self-sacrifice. <laughs> that, that's how Johnny doesn't know what self-sacrifice is. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, Tariana, Battle Worlds. Okay, sure. <laughs> exactly. So, so the last panel is terrible, though, because Ben says, where the Silver Surfer flies, he flies alone. And Shari says, yes, Ben. But for what she said, nobody's ever been as alone as that one. Yeah. Two things. One, the as that one, terrible. It's, uh, it's horrible on so many levels. Secondly, if there's one thing that's true of Mansa's past, it's that she's never really been alone because everyone has always been fucking with her, trying to possess her, trying to convince her to like marry them, right. fuck them. Like she's not like she's been alone for maybe like a page of a comic. <laughs> and so Engelhardt is going all out to try and make you feel something. And he's throwing everything at the wall, including fucking logic. Well, <laughs> to be fair, I feel like logic is one of the first things that Engelhart reaches for to throw to the wall. But yeah, I, I, I get where you're going with this one. And yeah, it doesn't look great. Also, every time I see that panel, uh, I'm always like, Jesus, I want to go eat at mcdonald's you know because it really is one of those you like really, you really don't think this marvel's outfit do you i don't i'm not i, I it, the it's, only time it is, i'm into it, it has, is when i'm hungry yeah. yeah it's very bold that uh keith pollard designs an outfit and then went i've got it it's literally going to be the mcdonald's logo <laughs> so many people like it you know i mean anyway yeah it's Oh, God. It's a shame. I mean, you really do like the fact that we're trying to cut Engelhart as much slack as humanly possible, that his plans got truncated. He is trying to give us the wrap up of a story, despite the fact that he is bitterly disappointed. And well, it, it really does feel because Mantis has been in the last couple of issues, like really going, we're going to go into space. Yeah. And the fact that that just doesn't happen and the planets come to Earth for literally no reason. Yep. Like, the comptars to be like, we've got your son, he's right here, catch you later. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything about it just smells of this got wrapped up far sooner than Englehart had originally planned. And yeah. it's especially obvious by the fact that the next issue features a significant shift for the book and Englehart going by the John Hartness name for the first time. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's fair to say that I think Englehart had a much longer amount of storyline in mind. Yes. That... that he wrapped up in, let's be fair, a terrible way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, However, as we head into 326 and 327, even though this is editorially mandated and Engelhart is passive-aggressive as shit through these comics, yeah. 
I really enjoyed them much more than the last couple of issues. Yes, and I think it's exactly something that uh, um, you pointed out in earlier episodes, which is that... Uh, uh, spoilers for those <laughs> who haven't read these issues. I don't know why I'm spoiling you for the next six minutes. I don't know if I'm giving this away to before Graham <laughs> wants to. I was going to say, you're something that we're literally about to talk about. So it yeah, really matter. yeah. We, basically, 326 is the return of Reed and Sue, and I think part of what makes that uh, that rollback that Englehart did not want to make at all um, a little less painful is, as you were saying, several episodes ago, he writes a pretty damn good Reed Richards. I really enjoyed Reed in this. Yeah. Not only does he write a really good Reed Richards, but he also has Sue repeatedly be like, this is the opposite of what we said we were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not a simple, they come back. Yeah. You have Sue repeatedly say, we left the team. Yeah. We left the team for a reason. Yep. You know, so, so there's, it's, it goes remarkably well. That said, it does not help that uh, John Harkness, as he's now calling himself, starts the issue by saying the fabulous FF go back where they came from. Mm-hmm. Stanley presents the illusion. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Well, you know, the illusion of progress. It's now really fuck knows January in the FF distilled Christmas. Who can even tell what time period it is? It's some some time in the calendar where it snows on Avengers Island, which I think is just off the coast of New York. Yeah, I believe that's Maybe. correct. Yeah, because um, it is also snowing on New York. Uh, Reed decides uh, for editorial reasons, as opposed to anything else, that he just wants to check in on the Fantastic Four. He hasn't heard anything since the Inferno thing happened. It was super weird. Um, he would know. He and Sue were involved in Inferno in the uh, Avengers book. Right. Um, and Sue's so like, you know, fine, if you must. Which leads to the great thing where Reed flies off the island and has Dublin going, sometimes she treats me like our son. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. I love that so much. And then he just whines. Yeah. I was one of America's top scientists before I ever took her, Ben, and Johnny into space and made us a Fantastic Four. My work since then has made us as financially secure as you can be in this modern world. Still, she worries I can't keep my word to Ben. Well, I may be a scientist, but I'm not absent-minded. And I may be a superhero, but I'm not some comic boob boob. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Because it really is Engelhardt just being salty as shit. Yeah. Oh, completely. It's, it, it's salty, and there is a lot of... I feel like I feel like Engelhart is doing something that I don't feel like he does too often, which is he's literally showing us one thing while saying another. Like the fact is, is that I think Engelhart is very conscious that, like you said, not only is everything that he's putting in Reed's inner mouth uh, salty as hell, but it Reed couldn't sound more old manish and out of touch than what he's got going on here. The fact that he at the last panel on the page has him being like take away my stretch powers and I could still run the Fantastic Four if If I I wanted wanted to. to. (laughs) Exactly. One of the things that's wonderful is is that Englehart does not actually bring this characterization of Reed. When Reed shows up is attacked by the Baxter building uh, and then more or less has the FF walk in and be like oh hey Reed what are you doing? What did you do wrong that you ended up setting off all the security? Um, Reed is actually 
surprisingly magnanimous about the whole situation, which is great. It's yeah, because Engelhart doesn't write Dick Reed. Is it no. like yeah. he can be uh, self-righteous and snarky in his internal monologue? Yes, but he's always respectful to his friends. Which is a wonderful bit of characterization. Right? That's so and it, great. And it's so rare. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so rare. And you have, like, because he really is salty. So he shows up and he, he says, you know, I stopped by to see how Inferno went. That's all. And he's like, I'm just going to check the, the, the computer. And you see him think, just I thought they haven't made the adjustments. They need to keep it in trim. But I'm not going to say so. Yeah. You know, as opposed to almost any other writer would have him just say that out loud, except the, I'm not going to say so. But it's, I'd be like, blasted, Ben. Well, see, that's it. It's practically Reed Richards, the everyone else's characterization of Reed Richards turned inside out. Right. You know, he's the, the, the usual verbal castigation while inside he's like, but if anything happened to them, they're my family. He's, he's got it turned around exactly the opposite. And it's great. It's such a relief. I, what What is the purpose, Graham? Because I do love the, oh, I see. This fools me every time. Is there's a, there's a panel where Reed is basically like, if I can help Johnny, I'm only too glad to. Just think of it as a gift from one of the few people in the world who knows anything about cosmic rays at all. But I give her, better give Sue a call and let her know what's happened to Johnny and that I'll be staying a little while. And then the next shot is a, ha- a set of white, gloves which we've seen Reed use throughout the entire issue and a thought balloon that's uh, quotes from what he's just said one of the few people in the world who knows anything about cosmic rays at all staying a little while and you just have that moment of like is Reed playing back what he said in his head and thinking that he's an asshole in fact no it turns out it's that the miscoloring mistake. yeah is a mistake and it's the wizard who's sitting at his own control panel who's listening to what Reed Richards has said and playing it back and thinking that Reed Richards is an asshole. So, which is... Don't you think, by the way, that just the appearance of the wizard in the Frightful Four is, in a way, also a form of Ankleheart signaling that progress is dead, essentially? Oh, no, no, very much. I think the fact that he immediately goes to the, the Frightful Four is another passive-aggressive way of being like, you want the greatest hits, you're going to fucking get the greatest hits. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but the wizard does have a, a, a new Frightful Four uh, up his sleeve. It, yeah, the, the greatest Frightful Four ever, I think we'll all agree. It's now <laughs> Claw, Hydroman, and Titania. Yes. Who has, and again, another br- brilliant bit of Engelhart dialogue. Skeeter McFerrin, they called me. Mosquito. I'll have my share of blood now. I'm like, oh. Also, that... for, for everyone else being, playing along home, another Jim Shooter villain. Yes, exactly. And I have to say, I had a weird moment where I was like, is the whole idea behind quote-unquote Skeeter that she had small breasts and that's why nobody liked her because that seems very Jim Shooter I really think that's the case I'd have to go back and look at the Secret Wars issue where she gets her her powers because you see her beforehand yes but only from a distance and she does indeed look 
um, very skinny and small chested. But I did literally open up Secret War issue three, her first appearance, so I could read it. And I got to tell you, I totally forgot Magneto slept with the wasp. Oh, Jim <laughs> Shooter, no. So, yeah, let me tell you, we got to do a Secret War reread when this is over because. Do we, do we have to put ourselves. Did we not do a Secret War reread in all seriousness? I don't remember anymore, Graham. We've been doing this for so long. <laughs> I really think we did. I could be wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, talking of Secret Wars, not only is Titania there, but Claw is there, and Claw makes reference to the fact that he was once absolutely insane as a result yep. of Secret Wars, but he's now sane again, and everything's fine. They're going to attack the FF. Because what else are you going to do? They're, it'd be boring otherwise. They're going to attack the FF, just as uh, Sue and Franklin show up and we discover that Franklin no longer wants to be called Franklin. He wants to be called Frank, which I remember really bugged you the last time that was brought up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Still bug exactly. you? Exactly. Yeah, still does. Although I'm assuming because he's walking around in his costume and stuff that he's more of it's. I I wanted to assume that this is a power pack choice, but I don't know for sure. I no, I'm fairly yeah, I'm fairly sure it's an Engelhart thought choice, and I really like it because it suggests to me a kid thinking that they're getting older. Yeah, maybe. You're just like, no, I'm good. Like, Franklin's a kid's name. I'm five now. I'm Frank. Yeah, well, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. It still doesn't still doesn't speak to me. Other surprises in this issue, I was actually shocked that there was not a Torino XL computer uh, and that they actually didn't pay for product placement in this uh, comic because there's a ridiculous amount of time spent on Reed Richards' personal computer and how awesome it is. It's, it's I, I am here to tell you that is foreshadowing. Really? Yes. The Torino okay. XL goes somewhere later. And Get it actually goes out. somewhere, which is great. Get out. Like, there, there, is, there is a genuinely fun reveal connected to the Torino XL later. No way. I'm so tempted to ruin it for you now, but that would, that was like spoil the when it happens damn it but this way okay you'll find out in the next uh batch of issues we read because okay. the last batch of issues are the last Engelhart issues so you'll find out before Engelhart goes there's a torino excel reveal and wow. that's that's why there is so much time spent to read who let's not forget is in the fucking four freedoms plaza in the lab he built and asks sue to bring his personal computer from connecticut yeah yeah completely yeah, I I really didn't get it. So that that's I'm glad to hear it. Um, so yes, there's a little bit of a little mini FF reunion going on here. Reed with his computer, uh, he actually gets <laughs> is to that, is that his reunion. <laughs> exactly. As, as Sue talks to Ben, Reed talks to his computer. Exactly. Um, I don't know why it's established that uh, the untalented woman who I guess is Titania is singing a traveling Wilbury song at the base of four freedoms Plaza. It doesn't really seem to pay off in any way whatsoever, but um, basically as uh, for those who are trying to follow along with our summary and God help you read who during his time with the Sofa Surfer, uh, as we sort of know, as we're glimpsed in that one FF annual, uh, Reed and Sue and hanging out uh, with SS, Reed has discovered that he did, doesn't know much about the magical universe and has more or less decided that he would start researching grimoires. And so therefore, he probably has a magical cure 
that would help Johnny, which is um, a really interesting, surprising amount of malarkey. Just as he's in the process of putting the the cure all uh, on Johnny, Johnny must sit inside the uh, field for the next three minutes uninterrupted, which is, of course, precisely when the frightful four attack. And there's a big slam bang um, wang up. <laughs> yes, the slam bang wang up is what we call fighting now. Um, the reason that Daniel is out the front is she's distracting the security guards so that the other two can break in first. Really? That makes no sense. I'm like... just saying. that That's my story and I'm sticking to it. It's not backed up at all by the story, but... <laughs> okay, it, but thank you. Yeah. It's that or... Uh, they break in through the windows of the top <laughs> really, floor. Really was into Jeff Lynn. I don't know. You also see uh, Claw making uh, things vibrate in a junkyard. How does that tie in? Boof. Oh yeah, you're right. It turns over all every engine on the construction site catches. Um, yeah, there's there's literally no reason for that either. Oh, so he, he says he rode in from sound waves from below, but you know. It's kind of kind of bullshit, really. Anyway, the Frightful Four attack, because of course they do, they never explain how the wizard or Titania get in. Like, Hydroman and, and Claw both are like, this is a very detailed explanation for how we got in. And the reason Titania just show up and they're like, yeah, and we're here too. Yeah, exactly. But as as they interrupt, they, they do a good job beating up the Fantastic Four, but there's a problem. Oh my god! The thing is thrown into the machine as Johnny's cure is happening. It's it's all gone wrong. He all of a sudden is Ben Grimm again. Dun dun dun. Dun 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 dun. It's all right. I'm cured, says Johnny, coming out. Even though he's still flamed on, but you know, yeah. he's, he's convinced he's cured. I'm I'm Ben and Rosby going. Oh my God! I'm Ben Grimm, which yeah. is great. Also noticeable, and this is one of my favorite coloring mistakes in this issue. When Ben goes from being the thing to Ben Grimm again, his pants change from blue and white to brown. You know, the other thing that I think is kind of crazy about this, and again, I guess I'm not such a big fan of Romeo Tungal's inks. I, I looked at that panel and I'm like, I honestly wouldn't know that was Ben Grimm if he hadn't told me. Like, to me, I feel like Hydro Man actually looks more like Ben Grimm than Ben Grimm looks like Ben Grimm. You know what I mean? I, I can see that. I mean, it's it's. It, I'm glad he explains his Ben Grimm because again, his pants being a different color right. and the lack of continuity. You could equally believe like some random dude just teleported into the room. Yeah, yeah, I totally would have. Uh, I would have believed that. Honestly, maybe even more so. So, yeah, things don't look good. No pun intended for uh, the FF or really for Inglehart or us at that point. And uh, how does it all get resolved? Well, hey, it's... no. First of all, things look great for Engelhart, even though he's going by John Harkness. This is the best issue so far of these. This... Oh, sorry, I forgot. You're kind of into it. Uh, yeah, totally I mean, it is. It. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. I get it. it. And you know what yeah, I'm into yeah. more? What issue three twenty seven is actually called Why? <laughs> Why? Ben Grimm uh, lives again. If you call this living, as Stanley <laughs> presents Why. Why? Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I bash on this stuff, but the fact is, most of issue three twenty six and a huge chunk of three twenty seven is just big old fights. Uh, well, that's what's really interesting. So, Engelhart 
on his website, which we've referenced a bunch, it's steveenglehart.com. It's that easy to get to. Um, talks about when he changed his name in the credits to SFX Englehart, it was a, a sarcastic reference to basically the amount of emphasis he was being given from editorial to have action in the book. Yeah. And then he changed to John Harkness, and you get what is essentially two dumb fight issues. Yeah. Like yeah. There, there's there's the fun character stuff before the uh, the fight before break in in three twenty six, but three twenty seven is a lot of it is fight. Like the first, what's that, thirteen pages? Yeah. Is a fight sequence. Yeah. And then you know two pages later, the fight four are fighting amongst themselves, and then. There's another fight sequence at the end of the book because Fantastic Four tracked down the Frightful Four. Yeah. Like, it yeah. is just a series of fights. And the characterization, which both you and I have spent, you know, the last three episodes um, complaining about, yet also digging, mm-hmm. is really pushed to the back in this issue. Yeah. Like, really dramatically. Yeah. And it's, yes. the, book, the book is worse as a result. Well, I mean, it's it's worse, but again, it's, it's more readable. Sort of, it, yeah, it's sort of got this high degree of competence, despite all the the bad mouthing. And weirdly enough, I mean, one of my theories is that um, you know when when the frightful the frightful four pop up a lot in that uh, the issue the 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 thirties of FF by Lee and Kirby. And honestly, most of the stories at that time kind of remind me of what we get here. They're really, really heavy on the fights. And it's interesting because to me, I always feel like if you follow the book through those, those issues, you're completely caught off guard when essentially Kirby Senate shows up and Kirby kicks into being Kirby and yeah. the book startlingly kicks up a gear. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting that we are more or less seeing the same thing, but in reverse. Well, this is here's the, the book th- downshifting. Here's the thing, Jeff. You have not read any further, and I have. Yeah. And in fact, mm-hmm. I read these, these issues as they're coming out. That's intentional. Ah, and your okay. time frame is intentional. Okay, good. good, good, uh, good. As, as you know... Engelhart is about to get ex- like he's already getting very meta mm-hmm. in in his passive aggressiveness. Two issues from now, the book gets the most meta it's probably ever going to get. Wow! And I kind of want to explain why, and kind of well, don't for... want to tell you. I I explain why. Yeah, I'm going to spoil it for you. I am. No, that's okay. SteveEngelhart.com spoiled it for me. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll spoil it for the listeners then. I'm going to spoil it. For you. <laughs> You're just driven, Graham. I, I really am. Um, Engelhardt brings in a, sec- a second FF. He brings wow. in a fantasy FF. Mm-hmm. And the FF explicitly make references to that era. Mm-hmm. Interesting. In their character dynamics. Uh-huh. Like, not just they have that dynamic. They explicitly make references about being confused about continuity. And, you know, no, no, no. This is the way we're supposed to act. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so wow. Engelhardt is clearly looking at those issues, like the 30s and the early 40s of the mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, and going, "This is what you want. This is what I'm going to give you." Right. But I'm going to give you. I am going to give you it with a twist. Mm-hmm. And so yes. it's it's really really interesting to see what he does because this is the last issue we're covering tonight. 
but the next batch of issues, which continue the storyline, I, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the plot of this issue is the FF fight for the Frightful Four, the Frightful Four run away. The FF are like, Ben, we don't know what happened. This is amazing. Is it amazing? Shari goes, is it amazing? I feel really bad because we were things and now we're not both things. Is he going to dump me for Alicia? And Johnny is like, she, he's not going to dump me for Alicia. Alicia's my girl. Hey. Uh, uh, and then the FF tracks down the Frightful Four and there's another fight. That second fight with the Frightful Four is interrupted by the appearance at the very end of the issue of Aaron, the Errant Watcher and the Dragon Man, who knocks the Fantastic Four out. And the last page, in fact, is an entire splash page of Aaron with his arms crossed saying, Aaron the Watcher and Dragon Man would love to destroy the Fantastic Four. This storyline continues through the end of Engelhart's run in the book mm. and gets dramatically meta mm-hmm. because, and this isn't a spoiler, but Engelhart basically fast forwards through all the stories he would have written if he had the chance. Mm-hmm. And you basically get to see, like, excerpts of what those things would have happened that would that part i have to say i'm very intrigued by looking forward to and the structure of the way he does it is a a really interesting one but but while while that's going on he has a second ff group which is essentially a parody of the ff from the 30s and 40 issues right um acting the way that they did then and Engelhart basically showing that this doesn't fit into the Marvel Universe now. Mm. Mm. Like, these characters literally, like, the Marvel Universe has changed. These characters don't fit in. These characters were nastier than we expect our superheroes to be now. These characters right. were more self-involved than we expect our superheroes to be now. Mm. These characters do not fit into the Marvel Universe. This sort of retro desire to push everything back is not good for the characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you get, like, we're heading into an astoundingly uh, anti-nostalgic phase, which is really interesting. Well, also that it's an anti-nostalgic phase happening under a regime of enforced nostalgia. Exactly. Exactly. He's he's having his cake and eating it while pretending that he doesn't have any cake. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like the editors are like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I've not got any cake. What are you talking about?" Yeah, uh, cake. Uh, mm-hmm. uh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, I I have to I, my hats off for Mister Englehart because, like I said, Mister Harkness, like, John Harkness. Oh, sorry, uh, I did it wrong. It's again. a shame that Steve Englehart left the book. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, and also, by the end of this run, uh, you will meet John Harkness. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Engelhart went to some really wacky places, uh, basically, I think, when he made the decision to quit the book. Right. And Because I, I, I feel that in like this issue or the next issue, he clearly made the decision to quit, and he's working on severance. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I again, I... God love him for it because even though like because it's such a take this job and shove it sort of quality it's not kind of like oh I'm going to half ass it you know it's like things aren't working out the way that he wanted them to and like I said it is kind of easy to give him the benefit of the of the doubt from that regard you can cause... well that's true because like this is on many levels a really disappointing issue but mm-hmm. Even the fight sequences, which are 
I mean, really, like, lengthy fucking fight sequences. Yeah. Um, Engelhart does Engelhartian things in them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the second page, like, the first two pages are basically uh, an internal monologue by Ben Grimm in the mm-hmm. background of the fight. Yeah. Which is great, you know? And then you cut to Sharon, and she's got her internal monologue, which is essentially, oh, I feel really sorry for Ben. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I how that makes me feel. Like, he mm-hmm. was the strong one, and now he looks tiny. I, I yeah. Like, th- this is messing me up. You know? Right. And, and so there, there's a lot of that that's really... He finds the space within the fight to do something mm-hmm. interesting. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's not as fun as just the pure soap opera. Because Englehart, bless him, it's a soap opera. Great. Yeah. Yeah. He but, really does. Well, yeah, exactly. But he finds the space for the soap opera. Mm-hmm. You know? Something else is uh, uh, this will be the last thing I say about this issue, but something else that's fascinating to me is Johnny is the voice of the editorial team. Oh, interesting. Reed Reed is like, oh, let me think about what the problem is, and cuts to Johnny thinking, good old Reed, always thinking it's almost like old times. Maybe it is old times since Ben can't be a leader anymore. Maybe Reed and Sue will come back permanently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Johnny, well, because Johnny gets to be the hey. It's great. Well, I mean, which is which which sort of makes sense. One of the things that's actually weird and frustrating for me is is that and again, I know that it, it knowing the story behind the scenes, but it is weird how out of character Ben acts as soon as he's turned back into Ben Grimm. Like at this point, you know, it's issue three twenty seven, we're three years into a Ben Grimm that doesn't really think of Ben Grimm as an option or a possibility. There's been, there hasn't been under Englehart's watch any kind of like, Oh, but if only, you know, it's, it's very much, uh, again, as we were talking about in this episode, the very progressive, like, well, this is my situation and I'm going to deal with it. And here's, I'm going to make the best of it. And things change. And the fact that as soon as he's back to Ben Grimm, he's like, ah, you know, at least we're, we're, we have the, what I think of as the very Englehardian lovely bit of him, of him being like, yeah, I'm totally into, if you want to stay the she thing, you totally do. Like one of the few good things that happened to me is the thing was my ability to see past people's outsides and love their insides. It's kind of like, it's, such a nice touch like it's kind of which really helps because for me the rest of this stuff where he's like hey this is awesome is like really that's not even consistent with how you know ben was looking at being ben Grimm back during burns regime you know it's probably closer to a hundred issues since he was thinking like that you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the fact that it's so readily back to him be like well Okay, everything's fine for me. <laughs> I'm just going to kiss my cookie monster girlfriend here and watch some, you know, see if this old suit fits or whatever. It's just like, hmm, it's... Uh... Well, the, there's that there's a reversal very soon, Jeff. Like, you kind, <laughs> of, you kind of know that, right? Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, maybe not immediately, you know, I mean, that's the thing Un- under under Engelhart. I mean, hell, even in the times where like the when when Ben turned back into Ben 
back in the Roy Thomas days. You know, they kept him as the thing for, I mean, as Ben in his little robo suit for like. Oh, I, d- I don't mean there's year. reversals and he turns back into the thing soon. Oh, I see. There's a reversal in terms of his attitude. Oh, interesting. Really? Oh, okay. No, I didn't. I did not see that that coming. So hmm. he he he's not like oh, okay, guess I'm human. Yeah, that, interesting. That's... Or or okay. uh, it's not it's not the same way as it appears in this issue. Put it that way. Okay, thank you. I'm like ah, oh, Graham McMillan. You can't spoil this. I'm okay with you spoiling everything else, but uh, but well, honestly, I'm fucking invent, invested in Ben Grimm. Yeah. Well, no, I, I hate to say it, but but you know, I mean, that's how, I don't know if you're like making fun of me for that, but I'm sort of like, but like at this point, like I'm invested in Ben Grimm. Like yeah. we have we have read 330 fucking issues of this comic. Exactly. Like, of course, we're invested in Ben Grimm, but also, well, we're in, yeah, he's yeah. probably the most interesting character in the comic. Well, yeah, as, as he's point of view character of this book for you know the last 20 odd issues yeah exactly well and i think that's it there's so much about the last 20 issues which really were kind of about ben getting his shit together and it's always interesting with Engelhart. i feel like his work in the 80s has a lot of like this west coast avengers and, and green lantern there's the character who has to get their shit together and then what i think is interesting is Engelhart usually is like Okay, and then where do we go from there once they have their shit together? And what new um, challenges do we open up for them? Uh, Mm. Usually in the form, I think, of someone from their past showing up to to, to analyze them, I suppose. So it'll be be interesting to see where the... It's sort of a shame to see all that stuff kind of get... um, uh, derailed at the risk again of spoiling us when we get to see the bits and pieces of where Engelhart was going through the 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 dream ff's adventures um or the ff's dream adventures i guess do we is it is it just kind of the oh and they fight dr doom but he's on dazzler's skates you know or is it more of a like you know, Ben realizes he needs to become a rabbi kind of thing. Like, is it more of the emotional soap opera stuff? Or it's is it more really of the emotional sort of the... soap opera stuff. Oh, okay. Interesting. Then I'm super into it. Uh, I, to, to spoil, but it's more tantalizing than spoiling, mm-hmm. Crystal Returns. Oh. Because oh. there, 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 really there really was more of a long game than it seems. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, man, what would have been? What would have yeah, been? Yeah, no, that's just it. You really do get like three issues of what would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so yeah, that'll, that'll be Ned's time, though, listeners. Yes. We are going to be doing Ned's time uh, 328 through 334. No, actually, 333. Sorry, 334 is the first time it's an issue. Oh, yeah. okay. 328 okay. through 333. Fabulous. Which is another six issues. Uh, it is. It's meta. It's kind of the best way for Engelhart's run to finish, in mm-hmm. a really strange way. Uh, there's some really smart bits. There's some really interesting bits. There's some really frustrating bits. So it, it kind of sums up the Engelhart run surprisingly well. Good luck, everyone. Hope you survive the experience. That's going to be in a month. That's going to be the first Baxter building of 2018. Wow, there we go. 
There we go. I can see why you're you're sort of disappointed that we weren't able to clear the decks. I know, you know, you're such a milestone person. The idea of opening 2018 with Simonson must have been. Uh, was oh, just... it, was, it was right there. It really was right there as well. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but we like I I think we've proven by what this got to be close to to our mark now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We couldn't have done it. No. But yeah, there's some interesting stuff there. It's. I would argue. I would say those are actually better issues than this batch of issues, because as much as I enjoyed reading this batch of issues, going over them again made me go, mm-hmm. "Oh no, I actually only like three twenty six and three twenty seven. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I liked these comics much more than I actually liked them. Yeah, I I think it's to me it was an almost binary experience. It's like didn't read the didn't like them then I did like them then I didn't again. I almost have to think if I reread them I'll be like ah. But how can you not love? Yeah, exactly. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, well, Graham McMillan, I think we should wrap this up for ourselves and for our listeners. Yes, this is the bit where I tell you there will be show notes for this episode up at some point. I'm going to be really cagey about this because you should. I'm going to post this on Christmas Eve. Uh, normally, the show notes would go up on a Monday, but Monday is Christmas Day. So you're probably not going to get show notes on Christmas Day. Probably the day after Christmas, there'll be show notes. This episode is therefore probably going to be up in the wild for a couple of days before show notes. Nonetheless, show notes will eventually show up waywattpodcasts.com. Uh, there is a Tumblr, waywattpods.tumblr.com, uh, where I have been spending December sharing lots of seasonal festivity with everyone. Uh, and it tur- turned out that today people really like the Ty Templeton stuff, which, which made me happy. Oh, that's great. Because uh, Ty Templeton does really, really fun Christmas comics. Um, I, I, who knows what I'm going to do for the last week of the year? We we will see. But that's waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There's also a Twitter at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter solo at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter solo at Graham M. at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast. Since the last time we did a podcast, Jeff, I think Patreon have sorted out their their issues. Yeah, it's kind of a really fascinating. Uh, Graham and I were not expecting uh, Patreon to do what they did, which is more or less walk back all the changes that they proposed. So, a lot of the stuff that we told you was going to happen, at least our understanding is not. So. You, the listeners, will not be billed extra for the processing fees, as far as we can tell. We, on the back end, will not be billed separate processing fees and transaction fees for supporting other uh, creators. And, um, you know, I think it's a good thing overall. I have to say, I was very heartened by the fact that there were very few of you... um, uh, dropped your pledges. Uh, there was there was a few brave souls who actually upped your pledges because you are genuinely awesome. But as we pointed out at uh, almost painful lengths, I do want to say <clears throat> we are grateful for all of our listeners. We're the the people who uh, throw the uh, the proverbial fat stacks our way um, really kind of help keep us uh, I don't know sort of focused and motivated in a way because um graham and i really have a tough time processing actual compliments uh but (laughs) i was going to say speak for yourself but that's entirely true 
Yeah, that part yeah. is entirely yeah, true. Entirely. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, sorry, I mean, sorry, everyone, we're broken people. We really are. I don't know what's wrong with us, but there is a way where it's like, oh, I guess people do like us, even though I myself am like, curse this capitalist system that has reduced everything into mere financial transactions. How, While also how saying forlorn. Well, exactly. I kind of feel that you should have brought Dosh back just for the last, it's the last one of the year, Jeff. Uh, Say goodbye to 2017 by saying Dosh. Okay. I guess so. I we are incredibly grateful to all of our listeners uh and uh especially the fine listeners at Patreon who uh, appreciate what we do enough to throw us uh throw a little bit of dosh our way. Um, Thank you very much. We're grateful for their support and especially the the support of the kind people at American Ninth Art Studios as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh another year the... not destroying us. Yes, my goodness. Who would have thought that we could have been so lucky? So to be honest, 2017, if, if any year was the year of the Queen Audrey, I know. Was like, like, seriously. Guys, it's yeah. time for lights out. Yeah. yeah. But no, no, it spared us again. We might be speaking a little soon, actually. But it's true, there, there are a few days left. <laughs> spared us so far. So thank you, everyone. We, we really do. Thank you so much, and uh, happy holidays. Graham? We will be back in uh, probably a couple of weeks, I would guess, Jeff. We haven't yeah, discussed so. it ourselves, but I would say expect us in the first probably – I'm just literally thinking of the calendar now. Probably the second week of January, we will be back. Yeah. Okay. Well, normally, like the first week would be January 1st, and that's not going to happen. Right. Because because you are, as far as I know, actually on vacation. <laughs> yes, Exactly. Yes. So yeah. it'll be the second week of January. We will be back with a regular raid watch. We'll see what the, the future holds. Should yeah. old acquaintances be forgot, everyone? Should podcasts be brought to mind? Who even knows? We're going to be back in two weeks. I hope all of you have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you very much for listening this year. And Jeff, it's a Baxter building. So I don't do the bye. You do it. I do. I do the buy, and I don't even do it in a, in a high pitched, uh, occasionally very moving falsetto. Instead, nothing, I nothing, just say nothing stopping you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I take it back. Apparently, your ability to do it is stopping you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but uh, I. We we recently had our nieces over for a sleepover, and one of the things that was actually delightful, I don't remember what it was. Oh, we were listening to music while we were having breakfast, and this song that Edie and I both like came on, and we both started spontaneously singing. And I cannot describe the look of horror on our nieces' faces. And the great part was the youngest of the two, who was five, actually just started going... Stop, Jeff, stop. Stop, Jeff. And I kept singing. It was great. They kept continuing to be like, Stop, you're annoying. Your voice is annoying, Jeff. You're you're annoying us. It was like the best. Oh, and of course my. I had to keep singing at that. And they were just really were they were just so pained. Like, no, no, you don't understand. So um That's yes. so great. That, really I, love that. I genuinely love that so much. Stop, your voice is annoying. If ever we do t shirts. Um, stop your voice is annoying, Jeff. Might have to be one of them. <laughs> it probably would be perfect. It's, it's so good. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building. 
Happy holidays.